Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We're now in Masachet Babakama Daf Kuf Bet Amud Aleph, about to analyze the dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda says in the case of the wrongly dyed um, wool, as an example, meaning it was dyed the wrong color, that you pay the lesser of the uh, that you pay the artisan the lesser of expenses or of um, or of improvement. Okay. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Abba, Rav Huna. So you're sitting in the Beit Midrash of Rav Huna. Rav Huna made the following statement. He made these two statements in the context of some discussion that the halacha follows Rabbi Shuvan Korcha and the halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda. Adrin who Rav Yosef Laper, Rav Yosef turned away from him and he was uh, evidently not pleased with the statement, and he said, why? Amar, bishlamar Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha yitztarich. I understand that Rafuna needs to tell us that halacha follows Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha. We'll see the case. Since after all, he is opposed by the majority, you would think that halacha goes against him in the stated case. Therefore, Therefore, Rafuna had to teach that we follow him nonetheless. What's that case? Rishon Korcha was uh, talking about a case of um, of uh, taking payment from uh, non-Jews three days before their festivals, and uh, if, if there's a debt owed, Rishon Korcha made the following distinction: If there's a milva b'shtar, which means you would have just as good a chance of collecting it from him a couple weeks later, where he would not um, as- associate his uh, paying off his debt, or for whatever reason he's going to feel good about it. He would not associate it with his pagan god. Take a look at the first uh, sugya in, uh, in Avodah Zarah. That's the discussion. Um, then you wait. But if it's a milvel peh, it's an oral debt, then you collect it even close to their holidays. And the Rabbanon disagreed. Now, that's the reason because you never know if you're going to be able to get payment back. So it's like you're saving it from them, uh, and therefore, uh, you're allowed to do so. Why do you have to say Allah Yehuda, meaning in our case? He's, Rav Yosef is challenging Rav Huna based on the fact that we have a general rule of the way that Rebbe organized the Mishnah. And that is that when Rebbe presented a Machloket and then it had a Stam Mishnah that took one of the sides of the Machloket, that implies that that's the Psak. And let's see what it is. Machloket Babovakama. Meaning, this is a very late statement in the Gemara. Machloket Bavakama. In Basachet Bavakama, you have the Machloket here. It's Bala Adom, it's Fosha Horch, Horch, Adom, Rumer, Omer, Tenlot, Mate, Sim, Rovi, Hunam, Shavach, Tel, Tenlot, Tsiab, Mitsiab, Terala, Shavach, Tenlot, Shavach. That's our Mishnah. Ustam, Bab Mitsia, in the fifth and sixth paragraph of Bab Mitsia, that Nan, Kolam, Shanea, Dola, Tachtona. The Mishnah Stam says that any time that you change the terms of the contract or anything, you have the lower hand in collection. Anybody who changes his mind in the middle of the contract and walks out of it, he has the weaker hand in negotiation. So uh, Rav Yosef understands that what Rabbi Yehuda is ruling here is simply an example of Yadu'ala Tachtona, that the, that the artisan will come back and say, well, I improved your wool by $25, but I, and I spent $10 doing it. And you say, good, I'll give you the $10 for what you spent. 
or the opposite. He says, well, I spent $100 in, uh, working on it, but it only improved by $50 because of market fluctuations. You say, good, I'll give you the $50. But that's basically, So Rav Huna, why would Rav Huna then go out of his way to say, if it's already built into the Mishnah? You might argue that meaning there is no sequence to Mishnah, and the Mishnayot were presented, uh, that, that Rebbe did not necessarily organize them in a deliberate fashion. Which means it might be Stam Vachakach Machloket, meaning the Stam of Bavatsi might have been earlier. So Yosef says that tears the entire system apart. Anytime that you have Machloket Vachakach Stam might be inverted. So Vachakach Machloket He. Rav Huna says, Kibomin ain't said of the Mishnah. He said, Yeah, I agree with you. Ain't said of the Mishnah, but Vachadam Esechta. I agree with you that within one Masachet there's an order. Avatre Masachto Tamrinan. But between one Masachet and another, it could be that the second Masachet was learned earlier, it was intended to be, in other words, they weren't intended to be seen sequentially. Rabbi Yosef's answer is, as I said in the very opening Shir of Babakama, Kulan Nazikin Chara Masachtahi. All of Nazikin's one Masachet. So the 30 Prakim of Nazikin that Rabbi put together are all seen as one unit, and therefore in the ninth chapter, the Hainu, our chapter, we have Machlok Rabbi Meir. And in the 16th chapter of Asachet Nezikin, which we call the 6th chapter of Bamatsiya, there is a Stam. So there we go. Rabbi Yosef says there's no need for it. Rabbi Yosef had another reason, not because of Machloket Vachakach Stam, but because the Mishnah in Bamatsiya is what we call Hilchot Apsikta. When you have a just a simple statements um, that present the final codification, which is those are Hechot HaPsikta. And since that's the case, there's no need to say Allah HaKar because Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah is simply reflecting or reflected in the Hechot HaPsikta. Okay, Tan Rabbanan. Atein ma'ot lishlucho likach lo chitin v'lakach mihem se'orin. A guy gave an agent money. I'm going to say it's not so simple. He gave him money to buy wheat and he instead bought barley or vice versa, but the agent was going to be a partner in this investment. So Tanya Chada, in Pichatu Pichatu Lov Metirotirolo, one uh, version is that whatever the improvement or the depreciation based on his switched uh, agency is to his credit or to his loss. Meaning that if, uh, if it turns out that wheat was really a bad idea and his buying barley was a good idea, all of the above appreciation will go to the agent who decided differently and vice versa. Tani Chada, in Pichatu Pichatu Lov Metirotirolo, but the other version is that if it goes down, he loses, but if it goes up, they share it as it was their original sharing. So now, Amar Rabbi Yochanan Lokasha, Harab Meir, Rabbi Yehuda. He gave one answer, which is, it's Rabbi Meir, which is the first uh, opinion, which is that it all belongs now to the agent. Whatever he gains or loses is his. And uh, according to Rabbi Yochanan, uh, sorry, and, and the second version is Rabbi Yehuda, uh, who will say that it will still belong to the, to the original guy. Let's see. Um uh and Rameyer says Shinikona, which means that the that the um Shinui of the agent buying the wrong thing makes it entirely his and therefore appreciation and depreciation is all in his account. Uh, and and therefore it still belongs to the other guy and it's like we fine him for changing his mind for doing that doing differently than he was ordered to that he has to take care of any losses now that was Rabbi Yochanan's take Rabbi Lazar challenged this and he said 
Maybe Romero's position about Shinui was only something where the original thing had some value to it. Maybe not when you're investing. And it's with wool, etc. Both positions here are mayor. If he bought it for eating, um, um, then the guy changed. I wanted wheat, you got barley. So you, you have to, you take, you assume all the losses uh, that are there and you gain all the gains. But if it's the schora, then, um, um, then it's not really considered a shinui because investment's an investment, and then it remains, uh, it goes laimtsa. Now, in Eretz Yisrael, they were kind of scorned or laughed at Rabbi Yochanan's take on Rabbi Yehuda, because I'm quite remember Rabbi Yochanan said that the issue with, with the, the solution was that Rabbi Yehuda was the one who said he motiro to laimtsa, because when the guy went and bought the wheat and was really supposed to buy barley, so it remains also partially owned, if wheat was a better buy, partially owned by the dispatcher. Who told the seller, who eventually really did sell the wheat to the agent, that he was selling it to the Balamaot, to the guy who sent him? Then any agency will fall apart, because even if he bought chitin that he was supposed to, why, and it turns out chitin go up well, why should the guy who sent the money get any gain from that. When the guy went and bought wheat when he was supposed to, then he did the proper shlichut. And then the agent is like an extension of the balabayit, and it's fine. How would we know? It's a very interesting proof from Masachat Arachin. If a person is Maktish's property, or he's, he, he does an erach, he says, I'm giving my own erach. So the the beitin is mamashken, and they can come and um, and seize his assets to pay that. But they cannot seize, and he doesn't have any claims on the garments that are owned that are worn by his wife and kids. Or any uh, dying that he did for their purpose. Or any shoes that he took that, uh, for them. Vi'amai. Why don't you say the same argument? How, do, how does the dyer know that this fellow who's coming to dye wool is dying it for the guy's wife? Maybe he's dying it for himself. In other words, um, what makes this garment or this dye um, belonging to, uh, associated with the wife, such that it can't be attached to the, uh, to the erech? The answer is that when he goes to dye this stuff for his wife, he's like Yadishto, and therefore it immediately goes to his wife, even if the dyer doesn't know about it. So the same thing when the guy goes to buy wool, what wheat that he was supposed to buy, he's like an extension of the Balabayit. And therefore, uh, we have saved Rabbi Yochanan's take on Rabbi Yehuda. I'm Rabbi Abba. So, hello. The reason for the issue of hektesh is when he's being maktish something, he's not thinking about he's thinking about his own property. He's not thinking about property that he's given to his wife and kids to wear. He said, wait a second, since one of a person's maktish's property, does he think his tefillin are included? Utnan, what do we have that in that mishnah? That they, um, that they bring him tefillin and they allow him, you know, they allow him to have a bed and they, uh, but they also estimate the value of tefillin. Those tefillin's in the mix. Um, 
And, uh, and therefore, you see that in spite of the fact that we assume he wasn't thinking about them, it's still included. So your answer that the reason the wife's uh, clothes are not included is because the husband just didn't have that in mind when he was being maktish all of his property doesn't seem to work. So Marley Abayayin, that's also how it's feeling. Abay says, actually, that is the case. When you're maktish your property, you're thinking about feeling. Why? He said, nah, he thinks he's doing a big mitzvah, being maktish and stuff. So he assumes his feeling isn't in. But he doesn't, when he thinks about it, he doesn't think about his wife's garments, etc., because he knows it's going to create enmity uh, between, uh, you know, within the family. But we said that this is a case of Chayave Arachin, those people who are doing an Erech. They, they, we seize their assets as collateral till they pay. Uh, we say you can even seize the person. Does the person have himself in mind? So this whole direction of saying that Hekdesh only attaches to those things that the Makdish had in mind doesn't seem to work. If you Makdish your stuff, it's almost as if you, in in advance, had already given your wife and kids all those things you bought for them. It's already there, so it's just not in your property. Okay, let's see. There's a little bit of a tricky piece. If a person buys a field on behalf of his friend, we'll see how this works. We don't force him to then sell it, it seems to be, back to the friend. But if he said, I'm buying it, and explicitly said on condition to give it to my friend, then he has to. Now, my kamar, what is this? I'm Rav Sheshit. First take is Rav Sheshit. In other words, a guy comes and says, I'm buying this on behalf of the Reish Galuta. Which he's saying it because he wants the guy to sell it. The guy that sells to the Reish Galuta, then this guy goes and says, listen, I wanted to get the field. They wouldn't sell it to me, so I used your name. Now let me buy it from you. We don't force the Reish Galuta to sell it. But if he said I'm, I, that I'm, I'm buying it, I want you to sell it to Reish Galuta, I'm not that he can sell it to me, then Then it was made explicit. So Amar, let's see if that works. Why would the Kenyan work to begin with? In other words, why did it become the Reish Galutas that you have to say that he can't force it out? After all, there's no dot kona here. A uh, guy walks up to a salesman, to a to a seller, and says, "I want to buy this for the Reish Galuta." The Reish Galuta doesn't know about it. Um, that's not a problem. So he told the owner of the field, and he told the witnesses that he was buying it for the Reish Galuta. Okay, so then you have the, what the challenge of the Bnei Marava is gone, because at least the Makan knows about it. But according to Sheshit's interpretation, the Seifa was that if the guy said Almanat, we forced the Reish Galuta to sell. I don't want your honor and I don't want your uh, your denigration. In other words, I didn't ask you to sell it and why should I have to sell it to you now? So that take of Sheshit doesn't seem to work. It really means if you bought a field on behalf of a friend, and in parentheses in this one version, the note seems to be that, as an example, Reish Galuta, in other words, 
We don't go back to the seller and then say, okay, write another star mechira to the guy himself. But if he came and said, Almanat, I'm buying it, I want you to sell it to the other guy. Almanat, that I'm able to get it from you, then Then they force him to write another star to the guy who really wants to buy it. Let's test out Abayah's approach. Obviously, he can't force him to resell it. Maybe he could have said, listen, you know I was buying it for myself. I was just trying to create some sort of, uh, you know, uh, salvation, to kind of, you know, give a little extra push. But, you know, I was just schmeising. And I wouldn't have thrown away money for nothing. I paid you already for the field. You know that I was doing it so that you would write me on the other star and I would get it myself. Said, you go deal with the guy who uh, who I sold it to. Let him sell it to you. Don't leave me alone. But then the end of it is, then Talking, um, it, it's obvious that if he said Almanat that you resell it to me, that we force him. He said, we're talking about a case where he told the Adim in front of him, you see that he wants another star. Uh, you know that I know they want another, another, want another star. He said, I, I could, I, the seller could say, I thought you meant that you're going to now need to get a star from this other guy whose name is on the star that I wrote. That teaches that he said, He said, That's why I troubled myself to say it to the Adim in front of you. So you know it's your star that I want. That's why you have to write it. Now we have a story. Kahana paid Azuz to buy some flax. In the meantime, the price of flax went up. So the uh, owner of the flax sold it. Um, the problem is, as you'll see, <coughs> um, that there is a concern of it looking like Rebit. Here's what happened. Um, the he saw he spent sent a certain money for uh, for flax and and by the time I got there the price had gone up and the owner sold it to give um, to um, to, to to give it back to Rav Kahana uh, to sorry he, uh, the, he um, to give it back to Rav Kahana here's what happened the uh, Rav Kahana sent money to buy flax the um, since the price of flax went up and these people wanted to be friendly to Rav Kahana, what they did is they sold it on his behalf so that he would make more money, and now he has extra money. So the question is, what does he do? Um, I'll tell What should I do? Should I take this money that's now the improvement? If when they sold it, they told people, this is Rav Kahana's flax, you could take it. Then don't. Who does that hold? Basically, that when you're acting on behalf of somebody else, you have to tell the makna that you're doing so. So, uh, since when uh, do we have a case where I'm going to give four and I'm going to get eight back? Uh, right, so, he said that uh, this is Rav Kahana's uh, response back, which said... Um, or our observation, if he had given four and he was going to get back more, so then it really was a rebate. 
but it was his own flocks that went up, right? And then they, the, the people who sold it took it inappropriately, and therefore we should really deal with them as Gazlanim. And what's the halacha? Utsnan, called Gazlanim Shalom Kishasakzela. So they should really pay, pay back the eight. Amrihatam Amana Havai, Vilomash Kherav Kahana Lakit. Now the answer is this was payment in advance. We'll call Amana. And Rav Khan had never gotten the flax. The reason Rav told him that was the Amarav, You can pay in advance for payroll and then take the payroll. You can't do that in advance for the collection of money. And therefore he said, here it really looks like rebeat because you gave four and you're getting back more, whatever the amount you gave, and you're giving getting back more. And therefore he said that you cannot do that with money, and he made him give it back. Okay, we'll pick it up. Uh, not, it's not collected, I'm sorry. We'll pick it up now at the next Mishnah, which is really a combination of several Mishnah, uh, a compilation of several Mishnah put together on Daf Kuf Gimel Amr Aleph. Everybody should have a wonderful day.